Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us, whether you're here or online. Welcome. We're going to get into God's Word now. So if you have the Bible, open up to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And as you're turning there, let me just again highlight how much of a disruptive time this has been in our world. We've had cancellations. We've had isolation. We've had schooling issues with our children. There's been a massive political divide in our country. And then if you named a topic and we took a poll, we'd have so many different viewpoints. And then some of us would even question whether or not the polls are legit. (laughs) So there's so many things. And with all that happening, we want to unite today. We want to be the church that unites around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This week as I voted, I arrived with kind of a spirit of competition. I had my candidates that I wanted in, and I started sizing people up. I like, who are they going to vote for? And I started, I just do that. I kind of people watch wherever I go into a place with a lot of people. And and so um, I I was doing that, and all of a sudden I just kind of guarded my heart, and I said, what in the world are you doing, Joe? And I stepped back, and I just... Thank the Lord for the opportunity in our country. I mean, despite the billions of dollars spent on either tearing down or building up uh, a candidate, we can vote. And I thank the Lord for that opportunity to do that. Just to give you some perspective, since I was born, again, I'm 55 years old, so I'm one of the older dudes in the room, there's been 10 presidents that I have lived under. There was Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump. And I think about that, and, and in, in all of these presidents, there's been a greater kingdom, right? There's the kingdom of God in which all the world is under. And this kingdom of God has lasted, and it has not been shaken no matter who has been president. I really believe this. And there is one king. His name is Jesus And he is over all, not just the U.S., but all the world and all the universe. And so, therefore, I mean, I have to realize that despite despite this turnout or whatever happened on election, that his kingdom will not be shaken. And his kingdom, where, where there's losers, they cannot derail the will and the plan of God. And winners cannot deliver us from sin or into the kingdom of God. And so this weekend, this weekend in the midst of a very politically divided culture, I want to call you as a church to unite around King Jesus. We're going to do this amidst a divided and fractured world because we're called to in the scriptures. We're called to the same person and the same purpose. To glorify the name of Jesus, to make him greater in all things. And that's what I want to do. So that's exactly what our passage calls us to do. Take a look at Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Look at, look at that passage. I mean, you kind of, it's all on the same slide, but just kind of get a picture here. And I have a quick question to ask you. What do you see when you think about a united church? Because that's what Paul is calling them to do. So let's go back to the word. 
Look at that. You see, the United Church will have endurance because the God of endurance will give it to us. Then the United Church will have encouragement. We will encourage one another, not tear each other down, but build each other up. The United Church, it lives in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, and that together it speaks with one voice, and it glorifies God. And therefore, it welcomes one another. So these are just a lot of things that you can just kind of pull out just by observing what the word is saying to us today. So we're called to unite. Do you know that Jesus prayed for us to unite, to be a united people, to be together, to be on the same page? He prayed in John chapter 17, which is his high priestly prayer. He prayed it right before he was crucified on a cross. And he said this, he said this to his father. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Just as you, father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus isn't just praying for his disciples as he's praying that. They were in close physical proximity to him. But he looked forward to a future ages and eras like even us today in 2020. And he prayed for us that because we believed in that same message, we too would be united. Now as Jesus intercedes for us around the throne of God, he intercedes and prays for us, church, to be united, to be one with him. And so when there's three areas that he shows us how. How do we unite? How do we glorify God together in a united way? And he shows three things. And the first one is in verse 5, and it has to do with being of thinking with one mind. We glorify God when we think with one mind. Look what he says there. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. There's two phrases I want you to look at when you look at that again, just to understand it better. And that's the phrase, to live in harmony with one another. What does this mean? Well, I went back to the Greek, and there's just one word that summarizes all those words in English. The Greek word is called phronine, and it literally means to have the same mind among you, to think about the same person. And, and therefore, as we think and have this mind of Christ, then that second operative there, that latter part, is that we would all think about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that our thinking would be in line with the mind of Christ. You know, as I mentioned that Jesus prays for us to be one with him, to unify around him. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, that we literally have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. It's something we are given when we put our faith in Christ. And you remember all the way back in Romans chapter 12? I mean, this was months ago when we were in there. Do you remember that? Neither do I. Okay, so we're going to look. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Right? That's that whole angle. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, his good and acceptable and perfect will. 
As followers of Jesus, we're called to do that, to, to rally around the person and the work of Jesus and to renew our minds, to recalibrate our minds. This means that we don't think about what do I want to do, or we don't pursue a theology that's I'd like to think that God is. No, we lean in and we calibrate to the truth of God's word, and then we think about the beauty and the wonder and the glory of Jesus, and we calibrate our minds to him. This also means that we have an others-mindedness about us. It's not just about what I think or what I want or, or life on my terms, but we have an other-mindedness, which is, which is why Paul would write in Romans 14, verse 13, that we should make a decision to decide. To, it's a mindful thing. Never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. See, they all had their agendas. They all had their mindsets. They all had their judgments that they made on each other in the church in Rome. And Paul was correcting them. He said, look, don't be conformed anymore. And and think, be together, be in perfect harmony as you think about Christ. Remember, again, back in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul calls us that, that we would not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but in sober judgment. In other words, we're not drunk on ourselves. We're not high on ego. We're, we're, um, we're humble-minded. And so there's two images that come to mind when you think of us all thinking the same and being united with one mind. And the first one is basic training. I don't know how many of you have gone, but all three of my boys have gone to basic training. And to this day, whenever they go back to Lackland Air Force Base, their heart rates go up and they go, I don't like being here because it is terrorist. I mean, it's just crazy for them. They were terrified of the eight and a half weeks that they were there. But what happens at basic training is you are robbed of all your personal rights. You have to stand at attention. You're barked out orders with a drill instructor. And, and you have to be uniform. I mean, it's so much on uniformity that they give you a uniform. So that you, you have to, you have no choice. You look like everyone else. You have to act like everyone else. And uniformity, it may work well in fighting wars and, and going to battle, but it's not, it's difficult to be, to stress uniformity when you're in a family like a church. And so the larger picture, the larger picture is more of an orchestra. And, and this kind of goes along with what Paul was saying even back in Romans 12, that we're one body and we're, we're many members and we all have different gifts but we're all part of the same family. So we all say the same thing about Jesus. We all think the same thing about Jesus. If we can bring our minds around to take on the mind of Christ, and then we can express it in all the gifts that God has given to us. So we're not called to uniformity. We're called to unity. And Paul is sharing that orchestra of one body, many members, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us. But yet... We're thinking about Christ together. We're taking on his, his mind, which means we're asking the question, what would Jesus think about this? What is the mind of God when it comes to making this decision? What has God's word said to me about, what, about following Jesus in this decision or in this circumstance? We take on the mind of Christ. God is glorified when we think with one mind. Secondly, God is glorified when we speak with one voice. 
Look at Romans 15, verse 6, this second verse in our passage for today. It says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's giving a picture of what we speak of what we speak when we're together. And the New Testament church, they had hymns that they sang together, and they had creeds that they professed together, so that it wouldn't be just this isolated experience, uh, you know, in a vacuum. But the church, when it would gather, would say the same thing about Christ and encourage one another with those things to believe and to trust him no matter what they're going through. So this is different than what, was expe- what was, they were experiencing in Rome. Because the church in Rome was more like a debate team. This group over here said, we can eat anything we want. There's no Jewish restrictions on us. And this group said, wait a minute. I mean, God's given that to our forefathers. My great-grandma would roll over in the grave if she knew I was eating pork. And, and they just fought, and they were debating with each other. This group says, no, you only worship on the Sabbath, which is in accordance with the Ten Commandments. And this group said, no, Jesus rose on the third day. It's that first day of the week that we celebrate and worship him And they were in debates, and Paul was calling them to stop this debating on the non-essential things. Have you ever been in a debate with someone? I mean, marriage in itself, whenever you go through a disagreement, can turn into a debate. And I realize just by the expression of, I've seen a lot of nudging going on in this room, okay? But when you disagree with your spouse, it's tempting to stop listening, but but being aware of what they say in order to come back and defend yourself or win the argument. I mean, we do that. We quit listening to understand and we listen to come back with a counterpoint. And that destroys relationship. And it's not really good at building um, uh, depth and intimacy and trust in a marriage. What Paul is giving is, is more of a uniting of saying the same things together. Have you been in a place where you say the same or sing the same things together? How uniting that is? When I first moved here, uh, a friend of mine, Jim Turner, invited me to go to a KU basketball game with him. And everything was good. They announced all the things. Everyone's like a typical basketball game. And then the alma mater song started being sung. And people just were standing like this, and everyone started swaying. And then their arms went up, and they put their arms around you. And dudes I didn't even know were having their arms around me. And they were ending that song with, Hail to old KU. If you're from K-State, forgive me now. Give me grace, okay? It's just an illustration. No one's going to get hurt. But as I'm hanging around, I just I was drawn into this song and drawn into this experience. And I actually got a little bit moved by it. I mean, my heart was actually tugged by this unifying experience. Because there's something powerful about speaking together and saying the same things together. Whether it's the national anthem, whether it's the pledge whether it's a creed that we make together, there's something about that. God knows that when we say the same things together, there's power in that. And I know it's been challenging uh, being in church and being separated and socially distanced, and that's what we're doing right now to be safe, but, but we can still say the same thing together. We can speak that same, those same words that unite us 
to sing with one voice or to speak in one voice about the person and the work of Jesus is a unifying thing. But it's not just in this concept of of worship. It's not just worship where we join together and lift up our voices to the Lord. It's also that we would be aware of each other and words we need to speak into each other's lives. Do you have a life-giving individual in, in your life who knows Jesus and, and, and is, is, it kind of views the conversation you have to encourage you and build you up, not tear you down? Not to put control over you or try to manipulate you, but someone who's there to encourage you without wanting anything in return. Those people are priceless. We need to hang on to people like that in our lives, people who encourage us. And that's also something that we need to take as a just a prod, perhaps, that we're here to say things that don't tear down, but to build each other up so that we speak with one voice. Another thing we do as followers of Jesus is we speak with one voice in promoting the name of Jesus through the gospel. That, that people won't hear about Jesus if we don't share that with them. And in just a few minutes, I mean, if I quit speaking, God's going to scatter us all around this region, and he's going to use us this week to speak into people's lives. Will you, will you be a, a burden to someone by what you say, or will you be a blessing to someone in building them up? See, together as followers of Jesus, we're called to speak with one voice. So we've got, we've got thinking with one mind, speaking with one voice. Look at verse 7 with me. Here's the next one. Therefore, Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So this has to do with the heart that we have of loving with one heart. And it's loving the way Jesus loved us. That's the pattern. I mean, whatever relationship you're in, whether it's a friendship or whether it's romantic or whether it's marriage or whether it's parental or whether it's a workmate, we're called to model the love of Jesus. That's why Paul would say in one of the very important relationships of marriage, he says, has said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's why he says here, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This word in the Greek literally means receiving someone to yourself. It's not holding someone at an arm's distance. It's not trying to size someone up as at a distance for who they might be or what they might believe, but rather someone who welcomes people as their own. And so the picture you get on this it's, it's not a welcome like you get at, at CeCe's Pizza. I, don't, I mean, if you own a CeCe's Pizza, this might be a quick coaching course for you. But when I walk into CeCe's Pizza, this is what I hear. Bob and CeCe's. And I'm wondering, what did I just hear? And then someone else behind me walked in. Bob and CeCe's. See, that's a welcome, right? But it's not really heartfelt. Welcome to CeCe's gets said in a half a second. So you don't necessarily feel special. The picture that this, that this Greek word brings in is one of come on to our family. Come around the table. By the way, this is not my family. I found this on the internet, so quit looking for my family, okay? <laughs> I don't know anyone in that family. But it gives a picture. <laughs> it gives a picture of what this is. Come in, dine with us. 
You know, um, I come from uh, a Middle Eastern background, and Arabs absolutely, their love language is food. And so hospitality, you come into an Arab house, and they just have food all over. I mean, it's just overwhelming the table, because the greatest insult to an Arab is you don't have enough food to feed the people who are at the table. So my grandmother, whom we called in Arabic, Sitte, Sitte would come in and she would, come here, Joe, come here, give me bosi, which means kiss. And we'd give me a kiss and she would sit me down at the table and she goes, now, here. And no matter what, no matter what it was, she would always have me with the ice cream cone. And she had the cones, which were awesome when I was growing up. And so she would always feed me and always have a place for me at her table. There's something about that that just makes you feel welcomed, and loved. And so I just, I just would say this. Are you doing anything in your life to show that people are welcome with you? Or do we just put up our walls? I, especially at this time when we're kind of in survival mode. The thought of having someone over or the thought of being hospitable, the thought of checking on our neighbors might just seem like that's, the, that's just over the top in your capacity to do. But it, it can begin with just how we handle ourselves, like our bodies, in, in being welcoming. I know that my wife has corrected me through the years lovingly, always lovingly. When I get busy, when I get busy, my shoulders go up and my nose goes out. And so I tend to walk like this when I'm really busy because I'm just going from point A to point B. But do you know what that communicates to people around me? I don't have time for you. You're not important to me, and I don't want to really see you. Just get out of my way. And so I've had to change that a little bit. I've had to be more conscious so that when I'm, when, even when I'm busy, people, my staff, my church, my neighbors, know that I'm not too busy for them. So as I, I think about this, I, I have to show just with my, the way I hold my body, that people are welcome with me. And I would just encourage you, that's an opportunity to show the welcome of God that he's given us in Christ. You can go, oh, but they don't believe like me, and they didn't vote like me, or they aren't like me, and therefore they don't deserve it. Did you see what that person, you didn't deserve it. Yet Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. And for the glory of God, that is, when you glorify God, you are you are taking yourself and you're stepping down. You're not lifting yourself up. You're stepping down from pride and ego and your opinion, and you're lifting up the person and the work of Jesus and making him greater. Remember what we talked about last week? The, the chief end and goal of your life is not to have people follow you. The chief end of your life is to have people follow Jesus after you. That means you've shown them such a picture of Jesus that they might have an appetite to follow him and not you when you exit the picture. See, that's the whole picture. God is wanting his glory to be known throughout this world. And we as a church are called to glorify him by thinking with the same mind as Christ, by speaking with the same voice about Christ, and by loving with one heart, the same heart of Christ as we've been welcomed by him. Okay, so we're going to practice this right now. And as we look at this passage, again, just I want to remind you, it's that whole picture 
of what we can unite around. And we're going to do that through something that Jesus has asked us to do to unite us as a church until he returns. And that's the celebration of communion. I'm going to ask you to take out the elements that you have when you received when you came in or that you've prepared in your homes. And we will do this together. But we're going to slow down just a little. And instead of just taking this, we're going to take some time to to think about this Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. We're going to take some time to to sing with one voice about this person named Jesus. And this song that we'll sing is Not I, But Christ in Me, where we're stepping down from ourselves. The scriptures say that as we prepare to do this, that we're to examine our hearts and we could step down from any sin that we might have and trust and, and seek the forgiveness of Christ by confessing it and living in that forgiveness. That, that we might receive each other in a spirit of love, that we, through faith, are the family of God. And we can sing, and then we can love him by remembering him. This is a memorial This is a memorial meal, actually. It doesn't look like a meal, but it's a picture of a spiritual meal that all of us have when we put our faith and trust in Christ. God in Christ has welcomed us to his banquet table, and his banner over us is love. I'm going to ask you to hang on to these elements so that we can take them together as a family.